yes, Lord, we, we, we want to be a people who give thanks to you even when we feel like we're in like significant want of life. Lord, standing on, a, standing on the faithful promise that you do indeed know what we need. You, you know what we need more than we know what we need, Lord. Uh, we might know, we might think we know what we need on the surface of our lives and our hearts, Lord, but you know what we need down into the depths of who we are. And so, Lord, we are asking that you um, would meet that need in such a significant way, Lord, that we, we know that it's coming from no place else than you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your goodness and faithfulness to your church, to this city, Lord. Uh, we pray, Father, that, um, that your word would speak to our hearts this morning, uh, that your spirit would move in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I am, uh, it's so good to see you all. The, maybe the, to use a slogan from the army, what is the army slogan? The few, the proud, or no, that's with the Marines, right? Yeah. Yeah, I got that wrong. Yeah. Marines the world over are angry at Cameron Linehart right now. Uh, you're brave for being here this morning. Thanks for braving the weather um, and coming out. You know, I would imagine that we probably have a little bit more people watching from home this morning. So I guess I'll address the live stream this morning. Um, wherever you're watching it from, whether it's on Facebook or YouTube or whatever, um, if you're watching the live stream this morning, if you would just say, if you would comment for us, just say, hi, and I'm watching from Jamestown or I'm watching from... Randolph, or I'm watching from Buffalo, or I'm watching from, I know we have some people who watch in Thailand occasionally. Um, so wherever you're watching from this morning, if you're, if you're watching us from home, uh, drop a comment so that, we, uh, so that we know that you're there uh, as well. Um, so yesterday, yeah. yesterday, you can, we can give yourself a round of applause. Um, so yesterday was, uh, was a fantastic day. Um, it, of course, it was the, the big Thanksgiving event that we've been uh, preparing for for a couple months now, uh, really. And uh, suffice it to say, everything went uh, just, um, just amazingly. We had honestly prayed uh, for good weather because last year it was like just above freezing but poured down rain all day long and it was... Um, we were strapping on a joyful spirit in the Lord, but let me tell you what, we were actually pretty miserable uh, last year. It was just hard, right? It was just hard work. Um, and so we were praying for good weather. And I think, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, I think I, I take yesterday as an answer to prayer from God for the good weather. We, we didn't get six feet of snow, right? We, we got the one day, like we got the one day in the middle of everything that was clear. It was cold, but the roads were clear. Um, it was a, you know, it was a, it was a nice day in terms of like how nice day. And then look at what we have this morning. It would have been so much more difficult um, to do what we did if today, uh, if we had the weather today. So I, I praise God for the good weather that we had yesterday, uh, but also for just the tremendous, the tremendous, you know, I always know 
because we've been doing it now for, for enough years, I always know that, we're, that enough people are going to show up that we're not going to be holding 500 turkeys at the end of the day. Right? I always know that. What I, and so my, my prayers usually aren't that enough people come. My prayer is usually that, like, Lord, would you, would you work in my heart this morning as I'm waking up? Right? Would you work in my heart this morning to, to create a, the heart of Jesus in me so that when I, when I look at other people, when I look across the table or when I'm talking to people online or whether I'm meeting people at other sites, that they don't, that they don't see me. Right? That they don't see, they don't see conduit ministries. They don't see Bemis Point United Methodist Church. They don't, they don't see me, but that they have, it, uh, that they have wherever they show up, that they have an experience with Jesus. And that's, those are the prayers that, um, uh, that I usually, not that I get nervous about praying, but that I, that I pray because I think that's really what is like actually makes the difference, right? That, that people are meeting Jesus, not that, not that we're just getting rid of turkeys. We do have, like, I want to share the numbers with you because the numbers are miracles in and of, their, uh, in and of themselves. There are, uh, they're, cra- they're cr- crazy um, examples of the way that God takes the little and multiplies it for His glory in the great, right, when we're faithful, okay? So, of course, we had five locations, uh, five schools within the city. Uh, we had over 220 volunteers at those five locations. Um, some would say, and I almost agree, that we, it's almost like we had too many volunteers. It's like there are so many people that created a critical mass, right? Uh, obviously, 1,250 families were 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 served, right? Uh, but those 1,250 families isn't just like 1,250 people or 1,250 individuals. Like I got seven people in my family. So that multiplies out to um, roughly 5,833. We kind of kept kind of kept count how many people you have in your family, how many people you have in your family, how many people you have in your family. Um, 5,800 people. Yeah, 5,800 people. Um, now, I don't know, what's the next slide? 30,000 pounds of food. That's a lot of food. 38,000 pounds. And I don't, or 30,000 pounds. And I don't know, if you go back to the, if you can go back to the previous slide for me, um, 5,833 people, that's roughly equivalent, equivalent to 20% of the city of Jamestown. 20%. That's a big. That's a big number. That's a lot of people. All right. Um, that's a lot of people and a big percentage of people. So, fifty-eight hundred and thirty-three people, thirty thousand pounds of food. The next slide. Do we have any? Do we have anything else up there for numbers or no? Is that the last one? That's the last one. All right. So. Oh, and it was like we weren't there till nine o'clock either. Two, two hours. <laughs> Two hours and eleven minutes. All of the sites were um, for, were very well attended, and um, and we're just it just went. I don't know what else to say other than it just went great. It just went it just went great. And so yeah, you can clap. You can clap. It's not. It is a thing to be excited about. It is a thing to it is a thing to celebrate. And it's not it's not understand. Listen, and I. I, I trust that you know the heart, and I trust that you know my heart, and we've talked about it enough here, that it's not celebrating our great effort. 
Okay, it's not celebrating. Uh, it's not celebrating even. Um, uh, you know, everyone. You, you'll you might see these things on social media later. And and as you as you like reshare and repost these things, even on your social media accounts, the the the, the pictures, the posts, the every, everything. I want I want you I want you to be aware of what actually happened yesterday. It wasn't a it wasn't a tremendous effort by a few churches, even though obviously practically speaking it was. But for the but but the reality is, is that we did it not for our own name, we did it not for our own glory, we did it not for our own reputations, we didn't even do it for our own personal individual sense of accomplishment or like we okay, we did our good deed this holiday season. Now we can do the rest of the fun holiday things since we did our good deed. It's not about that at all. Our chief focus, our singular aim, the one and only thing that we want to happen here is for Jesus to be glorified in our city, for his name to be magnified, for him to be made great, um, for people to come to know him, for people to see an actual tangible expression of the love of God through the people called his church. That's all we care about. I don't care if Conduit's name gets shared. I don't care if my name gets shared. I don't, I don't care about any of that. What I want is I want the name of Jesus shared. So if you're going to share these things um, on social media, make sure that you're sharing the name of Jesus. Yes, it's great to be proud of your church. Yes, it's a good thing um, to be... Uh, to feel like, yeah, we're, we're a part of something, we're a part of something great. And I, of course, I want you to love being a conduit, okay? But what I want you to love being even more is a Jesus follower. Someone who's, someone who's being discipled to the, to, to the life and ministry and heart of Jesus so that you can go out and you can disciple people into relationship with Jesus as well. You can love them. The love of God in you overflows to them. That is what we want to do here. That is what this event is all about. Whether it was 100 turkeys or 1,250, that's all that matters to us is the name of Jesus. And so as you share these things and as you're celebrating the, these things, celebrate Celebrate the, the, celebrate the name of Jesus. Celebrate the work of Jesus. And we'll, we'll be trying to, we'll, we'll put more of these pictures up on, on social media in the, in the coming weeks and stuff like that in the coming days so that you can see them and that you can, um, that you can use them as well. It was a great, great, great day. There's a handsome couple. That looks like right out of a calendar. Look at that. We're Pete and Lindsey Johnson here. No, they're not. All right. Um, but, um, but yeah, well, there's a handsome man. Who's that handsome man there? I don't know. Uh, he's not here either. All right. <laughs> get some, uh, hey, there's a pretty lady there. Like, get someone who's actually in the room that we can compliment them. Uh, there's Craig. What a great picture of Craig. Thank you, Craig, for all your hard work. All your hard work. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just so proud of you all. I really am. Truly. Truly am honored. Um, honored to be your pastor and to serve alongside you. Thank you. Um, okay. You ready to dig into the Word of God this morning? Okay. Great news. We're going to be in two separate locations primarily. Um, so, let's see. So we're going to start in Acts chapter, put a, put a finger in Acts chapter 16. We're also going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 1, okay? And these two, these two portions of Scripture are, are connected, okay? Um, 
We've been in a series called It's All About Jesus, right? Uh, and, um, you know, our uh, you know, creation is all about Jesus from last week. And the church is all about Jesus. And Scripture is all about Jesus. Um, we're going to continue in, our, in Advent, in the Advent season, which is the pr- preparation for Christmas. Advent starts next week, right? Um, Advent is all about Jesus. And we're going to look at the, the four major themes of Advent, right? And how they are all about Jesus. Hope is all about Jesus. Peace is all about Jesus. Joy is all about Jesus. Love is all about Jesus. Christmas is all about, is all about Jesus. So um, this week, though, uh, we're going to talk about something um, much more uplifting and encouraging than hope and peace and love and joy. We're going to talk about how our suffering and our pain and our, um, and our trials, they are actually all about Jesus as well. Okay? And uh, I, think we got some, I think we got a good word from, um, from the life of Paul and his, his experiences um, as well as uh, in here in the book of Acts. So, Here's what we're going to do. Now, you know that, or we should know, and if you don't know, let me tell you. Most of the New Testament, or the kind of the section of your Bible that's in the back, right, was written, about two-thirds of it was written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And a good section of those of that writing is letters that he wrote to churches that he had planted. Believers that he was discipling or that he had evangelized and they had come to know Jesus. And then in his, in his absence from them, he would write them letters to encourage them, to teach them, um, to correct them, sometimes to yell at them, right? But it was the way in which that he could communicate with them while he was gone. Some of those letters are like Philippians and Colossians and Galatians and Ephesians and First and Second Corinthians and First and Second Thessalonians and Romans was a letter, right? You have these letters that he wrote, um, and so they're like they're the they're the letters. But but where where was Paul in his life and ministry while he was writing those letters? Like what was the context of Paul's life in the midst of? writing those things to the churches that he had planted. Well, the book of Acts shares a lot of the story of where Paul was when he was writing these individual letters. Okay? So the individual letter that we're going to look at today is the letter to the church in Philippi, the Philippians. Okay? But what I want to do is I want to root that in like the, the context. Where was Paul at that moment? What was he experiencing? What was his life circumstance as he was writing this letter? Because it makes a difference. Okay? So if you look at Acts chapter 16, we get a picture into what was happening in Paul's life. Acts chapter 16, we're going to look at verse 22 of Acts 16, okay? The crowd, they joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged 
They were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. What had happened here is Paul and Silas were getting, uh, for lack of a better term, annoyed by a girl who was demon-possessed and who was being used by uh, people in, uh, but was, buying, was being uh, manipulated and used by people to earn money. She was a slave girl, right? And the slave girl was following Paul and Silas all, all around and, and yapping in their ear, right? Um, and Paul eventually just turned around, right? And spoke to the demon in the name of Jesus, right? And exercised the demon from her life. And the, and, and the, and the people that owned her were pretty upset about it. Because they're going to lose all this money. They can't enslave her anymore. And so they stirred up a crowd against Paul and Silas, right? And, and Paul and Silas were then joined in the attack, or they, the crowd joined in the attack against them. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. They were flogged. They were thrown into prison. Uh, they were given an individual jailer. Paul and Silas were like licking their chops at the opportunity to have a one-on-one with someone who didn't know Jesus, right? Whether they were in prison or not. Oh, great, an individual person to sit with us? Great, you're going to hear about Jesus, bro, all day long. Buckle up, okay? Um, and so they were, uh, they, he got put into the, they got put into the inner prison um, and they were, they were their, in, their feet were fastened in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners certainly had escaped by that point. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. What happened? Paul and Silas were imprisoned for doing something good, right? Beaten and flogged shackled, put in an inner cell, guarded by one singular man. They, even in the midst of those circumstances, began singing hymns to the Lord. And God showed up in a miraculous way. So much so that the, that the magnitude of their personal witness to the jailer, I think, led to this experience where the jailer was like, hey, what must I do to have what you have? What must I do to experience the countenance of life that you guys are experiencing here in the middle of the jail, shackled up? My eyes have been opened, so to speak. 
What must I do to be saved? They, they told him, you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your whole household. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And he did it. And he was baptized in that moment, right? And it didn't just become a personal thing for him, for the jailer, right? He was like, you guys are coming to my house and I'm going to wash your wounds. And, and it says that his whole family came to know Jesus. His whole, his whole family their, their hearts were, were changed within them. Listen, if this isn't the example of the way that the gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything for someone, I don't know what is. It was the gospel exemplified and shown and practiced in the life of Paul and Silas that drew the jailer and, by extension, his whole family into relationship with Jesus, into a relationship with the gospel, and it changed everything for them. Paul was arrested in Philippi. He was, we don't know how long he was in jail when, he was, when we get the account in Acts, but we know, right, that he was in jail while he was in Philippi, or that he was writing at the very least a letter to the Philippian church while he was in prison, whether or not he was in Philippi or not. Now, I don't know about you, um, but my, my, my guess is, is that um, is that there's a fair amount of hopelessness that Paul and Silas probably had reason to express a fair amount of discouragement, hopelessness, fear, injustice at their imprisonment. Right? That, that the prospect of being jailed, shackled, beaten, and flogged was like, that was like all of the ingredients for a bad attitude. All of the ingredients for like a I am a complete victim of circumstance and I'm just going to sit here and, and drown in a puddle of my own misery and sorrow. Right? And, and we could all probably come to the place of agreeing that like, yeah, I can see why Paul and Silas would have been like down in the dumps, for lack of a better term, because of their circumstances. So what was the attitude and heart of Paul and Silas while they were there? Well, we get a little glimpse of it here as they're singing hymns, right? As they're actively evangelizing those around them, even in prison. But we get a fuller picture if we look in the actual letters that Paul is writing from prison. And our example for this morning is in, um, is in Philippians. Because Paul writes this to the Philippian church. Philippians chapter 1. Verses 3 through 5. It says, I thank God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since 
I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Paul is writing to the Philippians in the midst of a situation that most of us would be like just devastated about being in, and he's, an ex- he's expressing an incredible amount and heart of joy and thankfulness for the opportunity that he has to lift them up in prayer and continue to like advocate for them before the throne of God. He even goes so far as to saying, hey, look, I know that God has the greatest things in store for you, Philippians. That the plans that God has started in you, that he is going to bring them to completion. And I can testify that I love you and I love you and I love you even more as I'm praying these things for you. And I'm going to continue to pray for you. He was approaching others in the midst of his circumstances still with a a resounding amount of joy, thankfulness, focus and fixation on something specific. It certainly wasn't his location. It was something else entirely. There was something that moved his heart. There was something that moved his mind. There was something that moved his whole being to step outside of what may be happening around him and to be and to be moved in the direction of like hey look none of this matters i got something else i'm focused on i got something else i'm fixated on we see the rest of that in the rest of chapter 1 we're going to jump over to to, uh, to the, our next verse verse 12 all right and just like take these words in here remember paul is in prison Beaten, flogged, shackled, inner cell, personal jailer, watching over him. Okay? Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains... Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter, Paul says? The important thing here is that in every way, whether from false motives or from true, that Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed But I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, 
whether by life or by death. What does Paul say here? Guys, we can't lose. Jesus, we, we can't lose. When the sole focus, when our singular focus is the exaltation of Jesus Christ, in my life, it wins. In my death, it wins. The sole focus, the singular fixation, the one thing that I breathe and live and work and have all of my being in is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if it's in life or it doesn't matter if it's in death. Verse 21, For me, Paul says, to live is Christ. To die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, well, yeah, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what will I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I, I desired to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But, from a practical matter, he's saying, right? But it's more necessary for you right now if I remain here. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So what does Paul says? I may live. I may die. I tend to think that God's going to keep me around because I think it'll be a joy and encouragement to your faith. But if I die, eh, no, big di- no, no big deal for me to, to die. Christ is gain, right? I gain Christ, which is better by far. So verse 27, he says this. So whatever happens... This is the, the, the final like, encouragement that he gives to the Philippians on this matter. So whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a good word for us. That's a really good word. Whatever happens at your job, Whatever happens when someone pulls out in front of you, right? Whatever happens when someone says something unkind to you, whatever happens when you've been dealt with unfairly or unjustly, whatever happens at home with your kids or with your spouse or with your parents, whatever happens, conduct conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one people for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him. Now listen, right? For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. Since you are going through the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. We're going to get back to that particular point there in just a minute, but I want, I want to say this for, um, to begin with. It is clear 
It is so clear by these words that Paul had a singular, unmoved passion for his life and even for his death. And that is making sure that others saw Jesus exalted. It was the singular passion of all that he did. It was the singular um, goal of everything that his life was about. Letting other people see in me my good circumstances or my bad, my absence or my presence. Jesus exalted the glory of the gospel. The, the, the worthiness of the gospel in my life um, exemplified to others. What did this singular passion produce for Paul? What was, the, what was the consequence of that in his life? The consequence of that singular passion being about Jesus and nothing else was that, in the, was that it gave purpose to the moments of his extraordinary pain and suffering. It moved pain and suffering from being something that he just sat in sorrow in and it placed it in the environment of now, well, if my focus is always to bring exaltation and glory and worship to Jesus, then it doesn't matter if it's in joy, if it doesn't matter if it's in excitement, it doesn't matter if it's in pain or in suffering. The circumstances don't change, right? It's just... Because my purpose is always to kind of like gather up everything that's happening in my life, right? And leverage it for the glory of Jesus, whether positive or negative, painful or joyful. See, what I think here, one of my opinions is that we often get discouraged in our pain, in our suffering. We often get overwhelmed in our pain, in our suffering, because for us, it seems so incredibly purposeless. Why am I going through this? What is this doing? This is only causing pain. The difficulty of pain, it's just, it's just magnifying. Pain is just magnifying in my life. And we, we become... We become extraordinarily discouraged and depressed and anxious because we see no purpose in the suffering that we're experiencing. We see no pain in the suffering that we're experiencing. But what if, what if, just like Paul, if we were to, if we were to grab onto the same hope and vision that Paul had here, what would it say about the purpose of our pain? That the purpose of our pain was meant to reveal the truth of a life lived with a singular passion for Jesus Christ. That the purpose of our pain was lived to reveal for others, not even ourselves, but for others, that, that, that even in the midst of horrible circumstances, we can look to Jesus Christ for hope. Because the example of Paul is, hey man, for me to live is Christ, nothing else. The exaltation of Christ. For me to live is not for my comfort, for my joy, for my pleasure, right? For my happiness. No, for me to live is Christ. And if I die, even more better. Because now I gain Christ eternally, right? 
How, listen, how else, practically speaking, how else could Paul be so ridiculously positive sitting in prison? Shackled. Beaten. Listen, this wasn't three hots in a cot type of prison, okay? This was ancient Near East. Um, Roman government, right? Uh, rocks, dirt, iron chains. See you, see you tomorrow, right? How would Paul stay so ridiculously positive in a moment like this where he could actually write a letter to other people saying, man, I give thanks for you, and I am just so full of joy for, for your witness and faith. If I was writing letters in a situation like that, man, whew. Right? I would want to hope right, that my heart would be so tuned towards, hey, look, listen, I'm going to leverage this situation for Jesus Christ all I can. There's not a person that's going to get within five feet of me that's not going to hear the gospel because for me to live as Christ and die as gain, I don't care about my circumstances. I don't care what's going on. For me to live as Jesus Christ, let's go. But this, it's obvious that this was Paul's life, right? That this was his heart. How else could he be so completely tuned in to that? I'm going to take his example and say this as evidence, right? How do we develop a vision for something other than our pain when we're in the midst of it? How, how do we develop a sense of like, okay, well, yeah, I'm experiencing a lot of um, difficulty and pain, but like, what do I actually practically do in this moment? I don't know how to, I don't know how to like, I don't know how to change even for a second my focus because I'm so in the midst of all of the pain and suffering and ickiness that's going on in my life. How do I get there, right? Well, if we take an example from Paul, right, I'm like, I'm just going to pull this out of the text a little bit. It's like, it seemed like Paul saw it as, or was, I don't know if I would say using is even the right word, but what he was, he was taking the opportunity to persevere in prayer for others, as witness to and as evidence to this heart of Jesus that he was like, that, that was his own. So in the midst of his pain and his suffering, what was he doing? Right? He was praying for others. Well, I mean, maybe like counterintuitive, well, should we pray for our own deliverance? And should we pray for like our own pain to decrease? And shouldn't we pay for our, pray for our own circumstances to change? And, and I'm not going to say no to that, but, but what is clear here is that Paul was unconcerned whether or not his circumstances changed. And he told the Philippians that. I don't know if they're going to change. I think they probably will, and I hope they will. I've been asking the Lord that they would so that I can be with you and encourage you. But if they don't, it's okay. I'm still going to be praying for you and encouraging you. Paul was taking the opportunity to, uh, to grow and bolster his faith by persevering in prayer for others, by adopting a spirit of joy for them, even in the midst of his own pain. I thank my God every time I remember you. In my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first time until now. 
That Paul was adopting a, a spirit of joy towards others. Joy not in like some false sense of happiness, right? But no, a deep countenance despite our circumstances that are built on the confidence of God's goodness no matter what would unfold. Joy. Not happiness. Joy. Paul's prayer for the Philippians was for God's greatest thing even in the midst of his deepest pain. I'm praying that that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What we also see here as we we hop up to verses verses 12 through 14 is is this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Listen, do you know that there is a thing as there is a thing um, uh, there is such a thing as suffering well. There is such a thing as suffering well. Suffering well does not deny the reality of our own pain, right? It's not some mind trick to say, well, uh, no, I'm I'm fine. There's nothing going on with me. Like, no, I'm going to suffer well by saying nothing is wrong. By, by, By just completely being in like a mental and emotional repression, suppression, denial of the pain or the circumstances of our lives. It's not what suffering well is. Because there actually is a, there actually is a, both a therapeutic and spiritually healthy, theologically accurate, biblically based, correct understanding of suffering well that recognizes that you and I, all of us right now, are living in this weird tension between the glory of God having delivered us already in Jesus Christ from all pain, all brokenness, all despair, all hopelessness, because we have faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives in us. But we are also in this weird space, this tension space of waiting for our final deliverance at the return of Jesus Christ, our Savior. It is already happening that we are delivered And it has not yet happened that we have been delivered. And so we live in this space of recognizing both. Recognizing that, yeah, I am still experiencing pain. I am still experiencing hardship. But I know, right, that my future is held and tethered to the goodness of Jesus Christ. And to suffer well means like this. Like, listen, you and I, we, those who express faith in Jesus Christ, we have a lens to see our suffering through that the unbelieving world does not have. We see that through the finished work of Jesus Christ, right? That there is sin and brokenness in the world. That Jesus has come to restore all things. And that through His blood, all things are being redeemed by faith, right? 
And that through that redemption, that wholeness is being, that wholeness is coming, redemption is coming, fullness is coming, Jesus is coming. We have hope to see our suffering through. And an unbelieving world only has the lens of their pain. They only have the lens of their circumstance. They only have the lens of what's going on right now. We have the lens of Jesus. We have the lens of hope. And that's what allows Paul to suffer well. He can sit in the suffering, but he can do it in a way that continues to point to Jesus. That continues to point to Jesus and offers encouragement to believers and a gospel message to unbelievers. We see it right there. Verses 12 through 14, what happens? Listen, look. The way that we suffer, the way that you and I suffer, can be an encouragement to other believers. That guy's suffering well. He's keeping his eyes and his heart focused and fixated on Jesus. He is not being moved. For him to live is Christ and to die is gain. I can see it. And you know what? Seeing him suffer well, fixated on the glory and exaltation of Jesus, that gives me encouragement. That gives me courage. That gives me strength. That builds up and bolsters my own faith. I want to go out now and speak of the same hope that I have in Jesus Christ that that guy is doing through his suffering. I can see it in his life. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ because of my chains. Because of my suffering. Because of my suffering. Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the Word of God more courageously and fearlessly. In His suffering, the way that He is suffering is encouraging others to speak more courageously and fearlessly about the gospel that is within them. Like, oh yeah, I don't have to be crushed under the pile of my own circumstances. Christ in me can speak courageously and fearlessly. How about this? Suffering well, the way that you suffer can be a testimony of the character of Jesus in your life to those that don't like you. There are people that don't like you. You know that? (laughs) Uh. In fact, the Bible is really clear. For lack of a better term, if you don't have people that don't like, if you don't have any people that don't like you, you ain't living right. You're not. Right? If Jesus had people that hated him, you should too. Being liked by everyone is not a fruit of the Spirit. Now, being disliked by people because you're a jerk is not okay, right? Don't get me wrong. But being, but, being, but, but being disliked by people because of like the, the heart of Jesus Christ within you and like people just like 
can't stand to being around your infectious hope and joy all of the time? It happens. And it happens for Paul, too. So much so that he mentions it, right? In verses 15 through 18. We don't really have a whole lot of context to what was actually happening, but he does mention it here. He says, It's true that some, that they, they, they preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. I guess maybe we could understand that in some way, right? Like, even if you think about like church battles, my church is better than your church, and my pastor is better than your pastor, and my church does this, and my church is better than I am. Church, 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 fight, 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 right? Some people preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter, they do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm here in this place, shackled to this floor. Now, in your flesh, what would you want to say if that was you? Well, I got a message for them, right? Like, but what, what does the heart of singular focus, fixation on the exaltation of Jesus do for the response of Paul in the midst of those who would wish him harm and at the same time are preaching the gospel of Jesus? Of course, there's a discongruity in their lives, okay? Right? But what does Paul say? He says, what does it matter? I don't care if they like me. They don't need to like me. Stir up all kinds of trouble for me, fellas. Does not matter to me one single bit. What does matter is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, whether from false motives or from true. And because of that, I rejoice. What are you talking about, Paul? Paul's like, hey man, singular focus fixated, not moving me from this mark, the exaltation of Jesus everywhere, all the time, no matter what the circumstances, no matter who likes me or doesn't like me, whether they're preaching from false motives or from true, if Jesus Christ is being exalted and the gospel is being proclaimed through their preaching, then I am all for it. Go for it. Yes, let's get it. The way we suffer can be a testimony of the character of Jesus Christ in our lives even to those that don't like us. The way we suffer can bring an unbelieving world to see the power of the hope that we have in Jesus. The way that we suffer can bring an unbelieving world to see the power of the hope that we have in Jesus. This is what happened with the jailer in Acts chapter 16. This is exactly what happened. If you go back there, right? It's, it's, it's perfectly, perfectly clear. Well, you see in Philippians chapter 1, right? Um, in verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard that I am in chains for Christ. There was no confusion among the jailers in all of the palace guard, what Paul was about. What he was using the opportunity for his chains to do. 
No confusion. It was perfectly clear throughout the whole palace guard that I was in chains for Jesus Christ. It was like he was wearing a big sign. Arrest me. I'm going to give you Jesus. Right? It didn't matter where he went. It didn't matter what he was going to do. You go back to Acts chapter 16 and we see it in verse 31. What must I do to be saved? He asked. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all of the others in his house. At that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. That it was, it, was through, it was through the good suffering of Paul and Silas that an unbelieving world said, there is something going on in the life of this person and I must know it. Because no normal person, no normal person would be acting like this guy's acting. But it's clear that he's here for a different reason. It's clear that he's walking through these circumstances like completely opposite of the way the rest of the world is doing it. It is clear that he is in chains for Jesus Christ. All of this is impossible without the singular focus of Jesus and his glory. All of it. Paul continues to write in Philippians and he later in his letter he writes this in Philippians chapter 3. We're almost done. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. He says this, but whatever, like, like take, take the whole of what we just said, right? And scoop it up into this one moment. Here. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. Hey, whatever is good about me, whatever was noble about me, whatever accomplishments I had, whatever was focused fully on me, whatever circumstances were about in my life, whatever I have gained or done or is good about me, Whatever was for my profit, it's a loss, it's a wash. Throw it away for the sake of Christ. What, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Jesus Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Him, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know the power, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. A singular focus. 
saying that everything is a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And I will suffer well, Paul says, for the glory of knowing Christ fully, because Christ suffered in order for me to know Him fully, I must be prepared to suffer as well. Of course, we talked about that earlier. For you have been granted to you on behalf of Jesus Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Since you are going through the same struggle that I have and now here that I still have. I think most poignant to me this morning is this, and this is what I'm going to leave you with this morning. I want you to, I want you to ask the Lord these questions in your prayer time this week. Okay? Really important. Going back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, that, that really famous little blip of Scripture that Paul um, spurts out here in the middle of his old letter to the Philippians, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. We see that in Paul, right? It's clear from his circumstance. But I wonder if we, if we ask the Holy Spirit of God to reveal in our lives and our hearts what it is that we live for. If I were to ask Jesus, or if I were to complete the sentence in my own life, for me to live is my job, um, my reputation, for me to live is making money, for me to live is my kids. It's a good one, right? For me to live is my spouse. For me to live is my church. Mm. Close. Not quite. Uh, For me to live is what? Ask the Holy Spirit of God to answer that question in your life. God, if I was honest with you and honest with myself and honest every, with everyone else around me, how would that sentence be completed? For me to live is... Ask the Lord to uncover and reveal the singular focus of your heart. So that you can then ask Him to replace it with Jesus. For me to live is what? For me to die is scary? Loss? To be avoided? To me to die is hopelessness? Nothingness? Darkness? The singular focus of Paul's life led him to believe that for him to die was like gain. The prize. Running across the finish line. The crown. The moment that he gained all things. So to have a singular focus of the exaltation and magnification and glory and work of Jesus Christ How do we finish those sentences? And it requires you, right? It requires you to be honest with yourself. 
and to allow the Holy Spirit of God to be honest with you up until the point of like, yeah, you know, for me to live has really been my kids. For me to live has been my job. For me to live has been my, my like pursuit of reputation or status. For me to live has been just my you know, like pleasure. For me to live has been my happiness. For me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have used the life and the writing of Paul uh, to reveal things to us. Lord, give us a continued and increasing passion and love for your word. Plant the seed of your truth deep within us. Allow your Holy Spirit to um, reveal what we are giving our lives to. Lord, and then, and then move us to a place of humility and a posture of surrender that, that we might replace whatever that thing is with Jesus Christ Himself. Not the idea of Jesus, not knowledge of Jesus, not trivia about Jesus, but Jesus Himself. The same Jesus and in the same capacity that we see Paul being willing to give like literally everything fully outside of his circumstances, fully outside of his pain, saying it doesn't... To live is Jesus. To die is Jesus. To move is Jesus. To speak is Jesus. To breathe is Jesus. To suffer is Jesus. Everything for Jesus all the time, forever and ever. Let it be for us, Lord, the same. So fixated. So full. So completely and totally grounded in that reality. That we can experience nothing less. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for this time. Help us, Lord, to suffer well. In Jesus' name, amen. This is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Jesus Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through him to the glory and praise of God. Whatever happens, 
conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You are loved, conduit. Have a great week.